Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 218. My name's Danny Murray. I'm Graham Merrigan. How are you, Danny? I am uh, tremendous, all things considered. Graham, thank you very much for asking. How are you, my friend? I'm 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 good, all things considered too. That's excellent news altogether. Yeah. Roll on to the next six weeks. Yay! Oh, stop. Yeah, look, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that as the episode goes on. But sure, look, uh, our guest is already here. There's no point in wasting time waffling, Graham. Who is joining us on the podcast this week? We have the brilliant. Um, she is a stand-up comic. She is a general election candidate for Social Democrats. And she is founder of Victims Alliance. The amazing, and she's a brilliant, brilliant uh, information weapon on Twitter. I've learned a lot off Linda over the last couple of years. It's Linda Hayden. How are you, Linda? What's the story? What's the story, lads? How are you? I love the yeah. way Asmero was doing that intro. His face got progressively closer to the camera. <laughs> All I could see was teeth. <laughs> <laughs> by the end of it, yeah. like he started with chest, neck, and head, and by the end of it, you're in his mouth like. <laughs> I, I, you know when you're slurring your words and you're trying to do the hype and it's like am I forgetting something am I saying it right is Linda going to kill me now after this yes, I, I, do, I actually did not and I'm, I'm completely ignorant and I like we never really do research on this podcast which is probably one of the reasons why we failed to be a success uh, but I, I didn't realise you were uh, stock them yeah I ran in the general elections there in January so uh, I'd be never doing that again tell you that now <laughs> Why not? Why not? Because yeah. it is hell on earth. Um, you're literally walking in. Well, because it was a January election, I think that was kind of the hardest thing. It was a three week campaign. Now, we'd been doing a bit of prep. But remember, like we only had the local elections May 2019. So yeah. we didn't have that long to lead into the campaign. So there wasn't a huge amount of time. We were literally getting over one election straight after getting over appeal. And then we were into another election. So it was, um, we were just kind of weary, I think. And it was a three-week campaign in January, which, let me tell you, seven o'clock at train stations in January is not fun. And as a first-time candidate, you're at a distinct disadvantage um, because all the the pre-elected incumbents, so the people who are already there, have done, you know, probably done their time being the person that I was, you know, going out and pounding, knocking on doors and stuff like that. But they they dissolved the doll. So that's all they have to do for the time leading up to the election. Like, they, they're fully available. And I was only after starting a new job in November. So I was working full time and trying to run a general election campaign. So it was, it was, fairly traumatic I would say um and it's it's you know there's an awful lot of stuff that uh you need to do because as soon as it's kind of announced you get something like I was getting about 200 to 300 emails a day um from people because you know like you have all these different organizations and they'll do like an email blast they do it to all the candidates so you could have like a hundred emails about disability asking you what your your standing is on disability. Now, it doesn't matter that you've gotten a hundred of the exact same email. You still have to answer every one of those people back. So if you don't have a secretary, you're kind of a bit screwed. So uh, I was getting up at five o'clock in the morning. I was answering my emails that are going to do my train stations at seven, then going to work, finishing work, 
and then going out and doing my canvassing in the evening and that was like three weeks solid of that so I wouldn't be in a massive big hurry to do it again to be honest now yeah there's other stuff that I do like I'm I'm involved in activism and I I kind of believe agitating from the outside might be where my strengths lie um so I think I'm going to focus on that a little bit more for now agitating from the outside I love that yeah I like to annoy people um and I can be very annoying and I can be very tenacious when I'm annoying people so I find it easier to annoy the shit out of people so that they give you what they they want what you want um, as opposed to knocking on people's doors and asking them to like me and vote for me, uh, I think I'll get more done one way. I, I, I'm better suited to being a pain in the arse. I was going to say, agitating from the outside sounds exactly like that rash you had for a while, Meryl. Did you get that cleared <laughs> up in the end? <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> you absolute um. villain. <laughs> I'm sure you're going to get me back at some point, man. It swings around the votes. Um, yeah, like the, it doesn't sound like uh, like I'm not I'm not envious of the task you would have faced having to face into all of that crack in January. And I think, yeah, just in general, any sort of any sort of crack where you have to hang around a train station doesn't sound like fun to me mm-hmm. at all. To be perfectly honest with you, um, how did how did you find it though in general? Like, did you get much guff off people? Did you find kind of no, virtually none. Yeah. I have to say, like the amount of people, the one thing, the, the one thing I love about it is actually knocking on people's doors and having a conversation with them and finding out what their issues are. And if there's anything you can directly help them with, because that's what I love too. I, for some reason, I'm a sap. Um, I love helping people and just being able to find a solution to people's problems. And um, I liked that part of it. Um, yeah, it's it's. <sighs> It's a weird one. Um, yeah. Was, was, was politics always on your radar, Linda? No, absolutely not. I, like, I, I'm going to get into trouble for this. I don't watch any political programmes. I don't listen to political talk radio. That stuff bores the absolute shit out of me. Like, if there's a political debate on, I will avoid it. I'd much rather watch, you know, American Horror Story or something like that. Um So I generally rely on Twitter to inform me as to what's going on. And if there is something that I need to look back on, I will. Um, Now, I watched uh, the Mother and Baby Homes this week in the the doll. Um, I watched some stuff yesterday on that. And I have to say, Sockdowns were amazing. Gary Gannon and uh, Holly Cairns did an amazing job with Breedsmith. Um, But generally, I don't watch anything like that kind of stuff so uh i'm i'm a bad politician um and it was so funny because when i went to join the sock dems they they did this big campaign uh back in i think it was like 2017 it was is politics for you and then i started going well is it maybe it is maybe i should i don't know these people they have lovely logos maybe i'll go talk to them right so i kind of did look and i was like okay well they sound like my kind of people and they were the only party at the time that was looking and pushing for repeal and that was a big thing for me so because um, i wanted to to make the referendum happen and it wasn't wait, no, wait, 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 are you are you suggesting that simon harris and leo varadkar weren't in favor of repeal all those years ago no they were not oh uh, my the good only god party in 2017 that was actively saying that it was a pro repeal party was was the sock dance 
So I went to name met Keen O'Callaghan, who's now a TD, and um, he was kind of the recruitment guy for the party at the time. And I said to him, now, I don't know if I'm for you. <laughs> and he went, what? And I said, I don't know if I'm for you. I said, uh, I do stand up comedy and I'm, you know, fairly rude. And if you look at my Twitter feed, you'll understand why I'm probably not for you. But I just thought I'd come and talk to you because it seemed quite interesting. And he was like, no, no, no. Honestly, it's no problem. You know, we're different and we're all sorts of real, you know, kind of everyday people. And it's not like it used to be. Okay, so it's not like it used to be for the sock Dems, but I'm telling you now, you can spot a Fianna Fáler a mile away in a room because they're the only one that's wearing a suit. So, you know, it is in some parties still the way it always was, but in others, definitely not. So I went and I joined and then all of a sudden uh, there was three of us in, in, we weren't even an interim branch in Kildare South at the time. So they... uh, they, they said, look, you know, if you can get a few more people, if you can get to 10, we'll make it a branch. So I was like, right, OK, that's grand. So three of us went and all of a sudden I was like interim branch chair. And then we kind of disappeared into Kildare South together for yes um, when the, we, we kind of hit 2018. And then all of a sudden we had loads of people joining because we were one of the only parties that did kind of get involved with repeal so actively or even in our branch like we just disappeared into it we stopped being the sock dems and we became together for yes so after that we got an awful lot more people we became an official branch and i think there's like 28 members now in Kildare south and we have a, a county councillor and everything so you know it's gone well um i've stepped down as branch chair because i'm gonna be really busy with the victims alliance for the next definitely the next year anyway um, so I'm kind of stepping back from the politics to work on the activism a little bit more. I think, um, like, I'm a floating voter. I'm not, once upon a time, I probably would have been that person that pays a lot of attention to politics and is really kind of, like, angry about politics and all that. Over the last couple of years, I've more or less given up on it. But as a floating voter, I do find myself leaning more towards a sock dem type party and sort of gently nodding when I hear the likes of, you know, Holly Cairns talking or Gary Gannon talking, and I'm like, hmm, okay. So, like, mm-hmm. it is it is good that there's kind of new blood coming through, definitely. But uh, at the same time, I just think anybody's a lunatic who gets involved in politics. It, it oh. seems like such a thankless job. Like, 100%, 100%. Like, I sat on the national executive, and somebody said to me, are you going to run again? And I said, I don't hate myself that much. <laughs> and that's no reflection on our national executive i love you all um but it is you're constantly kind of on the go and even even being like a, in a branch being a, a chair or a secretary or anything like that it's hard work but you have to love what you do and i am in my heart and soul a social democrat like even if i was to leave the sock dems as a party i would still be a social democrat i believe in the principles of it i look to the nordic countries and i see how well it has worked there and um nothing will ever take that away from me do you know what i mean so i think if you believe in it that much then you know if there is something out there that you're extremely passionate about and some people are extremely passionate about green and just transition and stuff like that so it's really important for them to look and see who has the best policies and I had somebody messaged me on Twitter yesterday saying I was thinking of joining the Sock Dems and I said well go read all the manifestos and see the things that interest you and see what their policies are like 
in all the parties and make your call based on what interests you and how closely their core values align with your core values. There is no way in hell I could be with a party that would, you know, sell people down the swanee or, you know, and, and that's the greatest thing about the sock dams. It is a small party and we have direct access to our TDs. We have direct access to our county councillors. If you have an issue, you can go to somebody and they will break their hole to try and fix it for you. Do you know what I mean? If I have a, a, an issue with a victim or anything like that, and I, I say to the lads, look, I need a bit of help with this. They will do whatever they can to help you because that's the kind of people they are. So, you know, like if you're not, if you're in a party, you should be in a party with like-minded people. So if you're sitting and you're looking at the, the political party or whatever even group, like there's plenty of grassroots groups out there. If you're not looking at people who have the same ideas and values as you, then you're in the wrong place. You mentioned absolutely, and or back back in back during the general election, and I was looking at the party's manifestos and seeing what they had on disabilities. Um, and I tweeted about it. The Social Democrats had the by far the best um stuff on disabilities and uh, where they wanted to go and equality and stuff like that. I was very disappointed in in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's manifesto because I, I'm not sure if I could find it as I definitely couldn't find it as easy in their manifestos. Social Democrats, Green Party and Sinn Féin was right, uh, easy to find. Mm. Uh, and for such a young party, that really impressed me and they def- they got a vote for me anyway. Social democracy is about looking after your most vulnerable people and raising them up to the, the same standard as everybody else. So if you need equity, it is about giving people equity. So if you need a little bit more to raise you to that same standard, that's what you do. And that's what social democracy is about. So therefore, disability would feature very heavily in our equity um, and making sure that people have access to the services that they need. So I can understand why it would come out. So, and also, our disability policy was written in conjunction with any members who had disability or were... The, pro- the, way, the way it should be. <laughs> yeah. So nothing about us without us is very much a thing that we talk about a lot in the the sock dams. And, you know, like we're, we're working on like a, um, a sex workers policy at the moment. And we've, you know, we've we've done it in conjunction with Sway and other groups like that, because there's no way you should be writing policies about anybody without talking to them. And that's what the Victims Alliance is about. We don't want people talking about us. We want people talking to us. You know? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, you, you mentioned Victims Alliance there a couple minutes ago as well. Tell us, li- tell us a little bit about it then. <laughs> so the Victims Alliance is um, collective voice, okay? So we kind of, having conversations with people like Ruth Maxwell, Shanita Daly over the years, you know, and you'd hear of something happening to a victim or, you know, um, like not even necessarily what happened to victimise them in the first place, but you'd hear maybe... Um, they didn't, something happened, they were asked a question in court or something that was inappropriate and you would see the trauma that that would cause and you'd kind of be saying to yourself, how is that allowed? Like, how how are there no supports in for this? Why is that not happening? And stuff like that. And we, we started saying, geez, you know, we should really start putting our voices together and getting a bit loud with this kind of stuff because there's a lot of people out there who are jumping up and down about the things that they've experienced and and there's not really a collective voice on it. So we kind of started working on this project and it has turned into 
an absolute mammoth thing. Like we have 12 departments at the moment, including disability crowd. Um, so yeah. the idea of it is that um, nothing about us without us. So everybody who joins and becomes a member of the Victims Alliance gets a voice. They get to tell us um, what they would like to see differently in society, what they would like to see different in legislation, what they would like to see different in education and what supports they need to see more of and what supports are missing altogether. And what that's going to do is they will dictate what our projects are and then they can get actively involved with the projects if they want to. They don't have to, um, but if they want to, they can start taking parts in these projects that we're going to work on. And we're literally just going to start pointing out holes. We'll point out holes in systems. We'll point out holes in, in um, supports. We'll point out holes in legislation. Um, we will actively work to try and make life easier for victims. So that the only thing, I say it an awful lot, the only thing that victims have to do is heal from the trauma that has been inflicted on them. And that can be a trauma from a person, a group, or a system. So, you know, very often you have people who are victimized by um maybe things like the care system or you know they've they've gone to the guardie for help and haven't been able to get uh, have been traumatized by how they've been treated by the guardie or you know different things like that so um it's a so it's victims and all victimization in all walks of life uh, 100% so we have like I, I just I won't give you a comprehensive list because as I say there's 12 different departments uh, but we have a department for sexual violence domestic violence um, institutional abuse, systemic abuse, um, ethnic minorities, uh, disability, um, LGBTQIA+, sex workers, um, we have child sex abuse, like we've loads. Um, so and is there does, anything like this at the moment, Linda? Or is this is this like new or? No, there is what? a couple of different organisations, but they're not as all in, encompassing. And we did have a, a type of a victims alliance a few years ago that was specifically looking at um, people who had been victimised by losing a family member to homicide uh, or, or somebody close to them to homicide, and they managed to get an awful lot of legislation through. Um, by using that collective voice so it's the whole idea of it is that you know if we see something that we think needs changing we will lobby for it and it's more of a lobby group than anything else it's, it's not an NGO it's not a charity there's not we're not going to be looking for people to raise money for us or anything like that we are literally going to be saying oi no that's that's about us and you don't do anything unless you start talking to us about it you know um, because what happens is when people become victimized very often, they, 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 the way the society is set up here is that, um, there's kind of a shame culture. People don't want to talk about the levels of victimization that people experience. So, um, people automatically get this shame as if they've done something and they start to examine what they've done to lead to this victimization, because that's the way we've always been taught to gatekeep things. If you don't, you know, oh, God, if you get raped, then what, you know, what we wear and what we drink and this kind of stuff. Um, so there's this shame culture and a rape culture kind of they go hand in hand, more so a shame culture because it covers all victimization. And, you know, we very often um, we, we get told things like I, I've been told uh, you wouldn't have anything to talk about if you hadn't been raped. Um 
we've had people say to victims, oh my God, are you not over that yet? Like it's been five years um, and things like that because people don't know how to talk to people either. So yeah, no, but, but and do you know what? It's not said out of a place of badness. It's discomfort because we don't talk about trauma in this country. We don't talk about how to deal with people who are in trauma. We don't teach people. There's no familial supports there. There's very little in terms of family therapy for someone who's been victimized. Um, you know, there's not, there's barely stuff there for the victims. Do you know what I mean? The waiting lists are huge. So to, to bring that greater sphere in, we need to start having more conversations. And thanks for having me on. It's great to be able to talk about it. But that's the kind of stuff um, that we need to change. And, you know, we, we look at society as a whole and we say, what what needs to be better here? We look at education because education is the greatest thing. And I have to say, Gen Z, I say it till I'm blue in the face. Gen Z gives me so much hope. They're not afraid to say what has happened to them. They're not afraid to say, look, this is not right. And I'm not I'm not having it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, hey, who's this? Uh, Gen Z. So like the, the ones that are coming, it's like 16 to 25 year olds. Oh, sorry. Apologies. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're those... so out of touch now. But the other thing as well is those are the guys who really understand consent. And consent is the biggest thing. Having your consent taken away from you is the biggest traumatizing thing in the world. So be that whether it's somebody puts their hands on you in the the way of violence, um, somebody uh, abuses you mentally, physically, um, or because, you you, you know, of your ability or your skin color or anything like that. You know, that's the the biggest thing with it is that um, you've got this big society thing that, that we need to address. So um, the education piece is key because we've got to educate the adults because they've got to mm-hmm. teach the kids. But we've also got to start teaching the kids from a very young age. And, you know, things like um, saying to your kids, do you want to kiss your nanny or do you want to give granddad a hug? You know, and then the kid has to say, granddad, do you want a hug? Instead of actually kiss your auntie, kiss your uncle, you know, because you're not teaching kids body autonomy then and and not teaching them to respect other people's body autonomy either. Um, And I think that's the biggest thing. Like if we start it early enough, it'll be not like people get all like, oh, you can't do that. Let them be kids. And I'm like, well, they're going to grow into adults one day and this is going to be a problem. So do you want a problem now? Do you want like something simple now or do you want a problem later on? Yeah. It's like it's it's mad, right? Because like I mean, I'm very fortunate in life in that I wouldn't consider myself uh, a victim in in any true sense or anything like that. I mean, unless you consider kind of the Chinese takeaway didn't give me me chicken balls last week or some sort of victim group for that, I'll sign up. Like, but in general, like I'm very very fortunate. But when you're saying these things about consent and you're saying these things about kind of Gen Z and then being far more aware of these things. Like, I'm looking back to kind of like when I was like 18, 16, 18, 20, and onwards on, kind of like, I, I don't think I ever did anything wrong. But at the same time, I know I didn't like understand consent. I know I didn't understand all these things that you're saying. Like, and I'm, it, I just, I'm baffled as to how this conversation didn't happen 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and why only now is it kind of coming to prominence. Like, because we're getting our voices. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. And I think social media has a huge amount to play in it. Like you you think back to when you were in school. I've done talks in schools, 
like in secondary schools where I've gone in and I've said, hi, I'm Linda Hayden. I'm a rape survivor and I'm here to talk to you about sexual violence. And it, like, my God, I went to a convent. There'd be no way. Like, and I'm a lot longer out of school than you lads. Um, 25 years ago, that wasn't happening. There was no way they were having somebody in to talk about being raped. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas now... You know, people are very open to hearing your story more so than they were. Now, you have to be very careful because there's this trauma porn thing, too. There are certain elements out there, particularly in the media, who want you to lay your trauma out for everyone. You know, like and, and even on social media, there are people in life who need a good hard kick of a dose of trauma thrown in their face before they'll start to listen to somebody. Like, I've had arguments with people left, right and centre about rape culture. Like, I did a, an article in the Irish Times there about uh, just over a year ago. And it said, uh, sexual uh, assault survivor says Ireland has a rape culture. And that was the headline they went with. And it was a good article. It was a great article. Circa Pollock did it. And what happened was a huge consort of, of not all men people on Twitter uh, were like, there's no such thing as rape culture. There's nobody in the world that accepts rape. And oh, da, 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 da. and they completely missed the point of it. And the point is, you can have two people who walk away from the same sexual experience. One can feel fine about it and the other can be traumatised for years because the consent hasn't been absolute. Okay. And it's that that we need to get across to people that it's, it can it can happen as easily as that. And you might not even know that it has happened. So unless you are making sure that your consent is freely given, ongoing and sexy, it can be damn fucking sexy if you want it to be, you know, um, that it, it it means then that there is no question about it. There's no gray areas on it. One of the one of one of the reasons, Linda, um, one of the reasons. Back during the Belfast rape trial, um, me and Danny privately were talking about it almost daily, um, particularly towards the end of it. And we we wanted we wanted to talk about it, but like we're two immature men that didn't know how to talk about it, didn't know how to use our platform on the podcast to talk about it. We were we were very angry um, about it. We were angry at people that we know, say, on Twitter, having their two cents about it. You know, like, what about male victims and, you know, this, that and the other. And it's only in the last, say, few months where I've said to Danny, Linda Hayden would be great to get on because you're a survivor of rape. You, you're set up a victims alliance. You know how to talk about it in a way where people can be educated and people can um you, you can do it in a, in your own i think it might be uh the fact as well that you're a very good stand-up comic as well that you can tell a story and it can it can it can come home to people and it can it can simplify it to people because like you said people in this country don't like talking about things um in terms of the belfast rape trial and the the toxic nature of Twitter during that time frame. Um, do you think, do you think men were educated through that or, because a lot of what I saw was men playing the victim and I don't understand where that came from. Like even in that trial, 
you had the Irish rugby captain showing up as a character witness. You had um, fans of Ulster going up in their Ulster jerseys, you know, intimidating the victim. You had the victim showing her, her G-string uh, to the whole courtroom as if to say, you know, this is a promiscuous woman who um, she she obviously gave consent because she was wearing a G-string. Just, like, just in, in terms of all that, like, have we... Have we learned anything? If I could ban one word from the English language, it would be what about? Like the amount of what aboutery. Um, and the thing is that you have people like me, and, and there are others out there who are particularly good at, at closing it down. You gotta close that stuff down. Um, and I get this all the time. What about false claims? Okay. And how you counteract that is you know your numbers, okay? False claims are 8% of reported rapes. Reported rapes are only 12%. So you're looking at 8% of, out of every 100 rapes, 12 go to report of that 8%. So you're less than one person out of those 12 is potentially a false report. And also false reports include people who have been intimidated, who potentially withdraw their complaint or who have through, you know, no fault of their own, maybe their mental health and their trauma is too, too much they think it's going to be too much and they withdraw their complaint. So the way that it goes is at the moment we have a less than 1% conviction rate out of those 12 people. Fucking hell. So your chances of getting convicted for a false allegation is zero because you can't. 99% of the rapists in Ireland are walking out around there, lads, right? So... You can't, you statistically can't get convicted for false rape. Like you can't be falsely convicted in this country. So know your numbers is number one. Number two is ask them how they would feel if it was them. Okay, ask them to put themselves into victim's shoes. Don't say what about what if it was your daughter or your sister or your mother? Right. Because what that's doing is it's telling people that it's OK to only care about female members of their family and not give a fuck about any anyone's any other ones out there. And that like I'm I'm genderizing it because that's generally the way the genderization goes. And um, there are a hell of a lot. And I see you guys. There are a hell of a lot of male victims of sexual violence out there. Um, and it is much harder for men to talk about what has happened to them. Um, so I try not to gender it if at all possible but in that case it's always what if it was your daughter or your sister or your mother stop that okay um what if what if it was you put yourself in people's shoes it's not that hard to do if you were reading about yourself in this way if you were you know if you were to hear somebody talking about you in that way how would you feel you know Mm -hmm. you've been through the worst experience of your life and somebody is saying that about you how would you feel and that very often turns it on people, you know. But then there's also the block and the mute button, and they're great. So, but there, there. Well, well, I seen a tweet during that time, uh, going back to the Belfast rape trial. I seen a tweet from someone that I know, and I couldn't help but feel a bit disappointed in it because, and look, everyone can have their different way of reading a case, and I'm not saying that person wasn't following the cases as as detailed as I was. I was following it every day and I just felt that the, the lads were, were guilty. Um, one of the comments I read was, 
uh, watch now in a year's time the victim uh, will will have sold their story to the papers and will be on I'm a celebrity get me out of here now three years on from that trial or two and a half years on from that trial we still haven't heard from the victim do you know what I mean we won't hear from the victim either because she was outed. Um, so it's very different in Northern Ireland. And, and they have actually done an awful lot of work in Northern Ireland to change how things are dealt with up there because that was a circus. And that that poor woman was absolutely, she was identified. Um, people were trawling her social media. Um, and, and there is no doubting from the evidence that was given like they were found not guilty, yet somebody left their house bleeding and crying. And that is not acceptable behavior, whether you're found guilty or not. That is not acceptable. And those people are, should not be held up as role models. And I get an awful lot of flack because if Paddy Jackson tries to join a bridge club here when he's in his 70s, I will be outside protesting because he is not suitable as a role model. It doesn't matter whether he was found guilty or not. He is not a suitable role model for young people. So, and I get a lot of guff for that. And I don't give a shit that I will do that until the day I die. I will make sure that he never plays rugby on this, on, on Irish soil again. Um, so there's a number of different things that the Belfast rape trial did. Number one, it changed things up the north. Number two, it led to the commissioning of a report here. Um, called the O'Malley Report, which has just been, um, it, it was launched there about two months ago. Fairly hefty report, loads of recommendations made in it to make the justice system easier for victims and um, to make it easier for them to to be able to report and things like that. Some, some really great stuff came out of that. We have um, Divisional Protective Services Unit in every guarded division in the country now. Uh, they're in every single one and I've spoken to a lot of them and they are great they get really phenomenal training in Templemore um, specifically trained and any of them that I've had dealings with with a victim have been amazing I cannot say how good this is compared to what was there before so that's brilliant makes reporting easier for victims number two is they said that victims couldn't have legal representation in court and this is something that the victims alliance is going to be still pushing for there is nobody there so for example you gave the example of the the thong but that was actually a different case graham that was um in no you're right it was in cork in later in 2018 it was november 2018 and it was a 17 year old girl who was a virgin was dragged down a lane and she was raped and the guy's senior counsel held up a thong that she had been wearing in court as, well, she must have been looking for it because this is what she was wearing as underwear. 17-year-old virgin, okay? So um, because of that, there was absolute war and outcry. And we started saying the victims needed somebody in court because there's when you are a victim, you actually aren't a victim. You are a witness for the state. When you go and you make your complaint to the Gardaí, they will do an investigation. They will take a witness statement from you. It is called a witness statement. Um, and they'll start an investigation and they'll decide then whether they have enough in the book of evidence to send it to the director of public prosecutions. The director of public prosecutions then decides whether there is enough there for them to go for a conviction. So if you go in your report, 
your case might not get to court because the director of public prosecutions and and their office might say might say that um your case didn't have enough evidence for them to get a conviction so and and you'd be amazed the cases that you think would go to court don't i mean i've had ones where we've we've done an appeal and asked for a case to be reopened because more victims have come forward and the dpp still hasn't brought the case to court so that's what happens so then when you go to court you're a witness you're nobody special you're the same as mr joe blogs who thinks he might have seen something at 9 30 down an alleyway so you have no additional legal protection there is nobody there to say that you you're not to be standing on a trial and this is the other thing that happened that girl was nine days on on the witness stand nine days those lads did a half day each because they had top-notch barristers and lawyers representing them and there was nobody representing her so this is something we want to see changed and the o'malley report said no you can't have that but what we will do is we'll do these pre-trial hearings so if somebody is if the the prosecution uh, sorry the defense is thinking of bringing your past sexual history up then you can have a barrister um but other than that you can't and there are plenty of other ways to paint a picture of a victim around drugs, alcohol, um, what they were wearing, uh, where they were, stuff like that. That doesn't necessarily include your past, past sexual history, but they will use to try and paint a picture of you to the jury. And there's nobody there to object to that. None of it is relevant to your case, but yeah. there is nobody there to object to that. I was so, going to say, one, one, one of the things that you, you constantly hear, or well, not constantly hear, but like in terms of hearsay, in terms of commentary, and in terms of those kind of questions, th- those kind of comments of like, yeah, wasn't she doing Jaeger bombs and all that night? That kind of, so what? Who hasn't done a fucking Jaeger bomb on a night out? Like it's if, a, it's completely irrelevant. Like if you go out and you're going drinking, you expect to get a hangover. You don't expect to get raped or sexually assaulted. Mm. That's it in a nutshell. And you should be able to lie, but naked in the middle of O'Connell Street and nobody touch you. You should. Yeah. Not going to yeah. happen, but that's, you should. That, that's that's the the, the whole. It's a real Irish thing about, you know, uh, uh, she was wearing a mini skirt and a string top, you know, it's a real, it's, it's a real. It's because for years, it's a a Catholic thing and it's the shame culture is a Catholic thing too. Do you know what I mean? We've been taught to gatekeep our sexuality. You think about like, it's supposed to be down to women to protect their virginity, which is also a construct, you know, a societal Mm. construct. It is down to women to mind that they're not having too many sexual partners. Okay, You never see the same standards applied. So if something happens and you have failed in your gatekeeping, you have failed. And that's where the society is coming from. That's where the change needs to happen. Nobody, nobody is at fault. The only person at fault is the person who decided to do that to you, who took your consent away. Um, nobody. Absolutely. Yeah. No Are you happy with the O'Malley report, Linda? Um. Okay. <laughs> no. In a nutshell. Um. It's good. There's a lot of very positive things in there, but it's actual window dressing. Um. We had to bring it in because the uh, EU Victims Directive laid out minimum standards. Um. For victims. So the the whole thing of it was that the the systems cannot traumatize victims further. Okay, so this is the minimum standard to stop victims getting further traumatized by 
traumatized by the legal justice system. Now, there's an argument in there because at the moment, detection rates on sexual violence is about 4%. We know this from the Garda Commissioner's reports themselves. So they're only getting, of them 12 cases per 100, they're getting less than a half a case in front of the DPP's office um, out of, say, 100, 100 actual sex crimes. Um, so, and then the DPP might only put 30% of those forward. So if you think about that, it's great putting all these lovely things in place to make things easier for people going to court, but that's bullshit if nobody's getting to court. Um, And I want to know what is going on in detection rates and what is going on in the DPP's office. And we're actually, we're working on a a thing with the Victims Alliance at the moment. Um, We're... uh, we're lobbying the Joint Committee for Justice um, because we have uh, an amendment into the harassment bill because uh, the harassment bill is going to start including image-based crime um, or revenge porn, as it's also known. Um, and we're we're uh, lobbying at the moment to get this amendment brought in. Um, but it's going to change things in terms of the harassment piece is huge. So say, for example, I will give you an example that's come up recently. I have somebody who um, went to the Gardaí recently. She didn't report her her rape initially, um, but she went to the Gardaí recently because um, her rapist tried to contact her, okay? So she was terrified and she wanted to know, you know, was she safe? So I went to the guard station with her and they were like, very good, they were brilliant. Um, And they said to her, because this is somebody she has not been in a relationship with, okay? They said to her, OK, so there are no orders that you can get. You Like if, if he tries to come and see you or anything like that, there's no safety or protection orders you can get. You can only get those if you've been in a relationship with somebody. So if you have a case that you see him on the street, you ring us and we give you a call, give him a caution. And then if he breaks that, um, we can lift him for breaking the caution. What? <laughs> so there is no protection there for anybody who hasn't been in a relationship with somebody. So um, this is the kinds of stuff that needs to be looked at. Um, so I'm hoping this harassment bill will will do something with that. But then there's other things as well, like so image-based crime. We've no laws that cover image-based crime. So if somebody puts your intimate pictures up on the internet or on a porn site or anything like that, the only law that covers it currently is GDPR. So you have no recourse and you can't go to the guarantee because they're like, I'm really sorry. There's no legislation that covers this. It's terrible that it's happened, but we can't really do anything. Is that because it's the internet? like? It's because there's been no laws there. So there's a huge amount of gaps. So there's a couple of things with that bill. That bill is now classed as a a sexual violence. Like it comes under the Sex Offences Act, which is brilliant because it means part of the O'Malley report is that judges and barristers and senior counsel are going to get training on sexual violence. So that will cover this because the barristers and the judges and the senior counsel are usually older and don't necessarily understand the victimization. So getting people to understand victimization, particularly in a changing world, is very difficult. So the more conversations we can have about it. And it's a widespread. Um, we have a, an image-based crime department. Megan Sims is is our head of department. She's dealt with 12 new cases in the last week. In a week. Jesus. There are thousands. So, 
So when you're, when you're saying image-based crime there, and, and you mentioned revenge porn, um, like, and, and I presume a lot of this is down to the fact just that, like, the, the speed at which kind of digital culture has developed has been just it's completely outpaced that of the legislature and essentially laws can't keep up with how fast things are moving digitally. Yeah. So when a fella sees a girl on Instagram or Twitter, says, oh, I like you. Oh, look, she has an OnlyFans account. That's it. She's getting a shot me, lad. And drops into her DMs with an image that, you know, he's proud of for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. That... They rarely have anything to be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I don't send them. But, the, <laughs> like, that is, there's no consent there, right? So that no. is in itself. So is that covered? You don't want to see cocktail so sausages. This, this is what we're lobbying for. This wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't included in the legislation at all. And Australia actually have it in their legislation. So we went and we looked at all the different countries that have image-based crime legislation. And we, we chose the kind of language that we wanted. There was another piece of the legislation where the language was a little bit woolly and could be turned back on victims. So we changed that and we've made a recommendation around the change of that language but there was nothing in there about unsolicited dick pics let's just call them what they are right Mm -hmm. there was nothing in there about that so we have added an amendment um and if it gets adopted which we really hope it does and you know if if you're anyway inclined um i would be telling you to email your tds and your senators because it is a joint committee and it's the joint committee on justice so you can see which ones it is and to ask them to adopt the amendment put forward by the Victims Alliance um, because it will make unsolicited dick pics illegal. You can you can have um, something like it's uh, anything up to seven years from six months to seven years in jail and a seven thousand euro fine. So stop it. <laughs> but that's the thing, because you need to deter people from doing this. Then the oh, chances of. Hello. Oh, Meryl's struggling. Meryl's struggling. Yeah. We'll carry on without him. <laughs> we will. We'll plow. We'll plow ahead. Cause yeah. So although this is something he should hear, God bless him. But anyway. <laughs> I have I have very regular communication on WhatsApp with Graham. He's always very respectful. I'm glad um, to hear that. I would expect nothing less of someone in his stature. <laughs> I feel like we're talking about him while he's doing <laughs> terrible. Um. Yeah. So there are. You know. There's. There's a number of different. Um things that need to happen and stuff like that like uh, the chance of getting a fine and your chance of getting a conviction you know are are, are probably going to deter people somewhat so yeah it's like it's it's a weird one because i think like i, I don't I'm, I'm very conscious that because i'm an ignorant fool when it comes to a lot of these matters that what i say might sound exactly like an ignorant fool right but like when it comes to kind of physical assault or whatever, it's kind of, you know, you would think evidence-based, for example. And if there's a lack of evidence, it becomes harder. But with something like this, I mean, if you've literally slid into someone's DM and sent them a dick pic, that's all the evidence that's needed for the conviction. So the, the deterrent straight away is, like, you've got no idea how easy this will be to convict you. Don't yeah. be a fucking... Well, I was going to say, don't be a dick, but li- literally, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm all for, you know, just news. send unsolicited dog pics, not dick pics. Can we please make that a thing? That has to be the slogan going forward, yeah. yeah. Dog, dog yes. pics, not dick pics. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start lobbying the government for a dog pic, dog pic, <laughs> not dick pic campaign. 
can imagine RTA. You can Only. imagine live line. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, yeah, what is it you want? Do you want a dog pick? <laughs> I would love a dog pick. Give me Sugsy picks. <laughs> yeah. Linda, come Sorry. here. I just want to see, um, you mentioned over the course of our conversation here about yourself being a victim mm-hmm. and um, vi- victim of rape. D- did you go through the process of, of reporting your rape? No, I didn't because um, I actually was so traumatized. I was drugged and raped while on a family weekend with my family um, by two guys. And um, I was so Jeez. traumatized. Oh, yeah. And, and I, get, I, I say it. I say it out loud with no shame because I didn't do anything to deserve that, right? Mm. And and I'm kind of what we would class as the perfect victim because I didn't do anything to deserve that. That was full, like, when when you say that, people are like, oh, my God, that's terrible. You know, so it's not the same as having a, a, a grey area around consent. There's no grey areas around consent, but where people kind of have the idea of victim in their head, it kind of makes it a bit easier. But I was so traumatised by what happened to me that I did not, I could not say it. There's a thing called trauma blocking where you can't physically get the words out. I couldn't say it, it was about 13 years. Um, I, you know, there's a couple of people I may have alluded it to it to over the time, um, but I couldn't say it for about 13 years. And then I got angry and I started saying it a lot. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that was kind of where the activism came from. Um, from that place of because I looked at a society and and do you know what the biggest thing that actually made me start talking about it was I looked at the Irish Indian one Tuesday afternoon and Neve Horan had done an article about um, most women who've been raped have seven or eight drinks on board and the tone of the article was very well meaning but it was like girls you know if you're going out to have a few drinks mind yourselves in the same paper on the same day there was a guy who had when the guardy had knocked on his door he said I raped her Literally, as soon as he opened the door, he said, I raped her. But he got six years, um, he got six years, but all bar one year suspended because he was from a good family and he'd had a few drinks. So girls, if you're going out and you have a few drinks, you need to mind yourselves. Lads, if you accidentally rape somebody, then we'll take it easy. So long as you're from the right kind of family. And, you know, if you've had a few drinks, then, you know, don't worry about it. And that infuriated me. Now, I have to say that was what? That was like six, seven years ago. And since then, things have slightly improved. But there's no better woman in Ireland that's going to hold a media, um, meet the media to account about how they talk about victims than me. Um, we have recently got an agreement from the Irish Times that they're going to do a codes of conduct on court reporting. Because a few weeks ago, um, they said that a coked up 15 year old um Remember that selling, was selling her body for sex. Well, number one, she's 15, so she can't sell anything. She's a minor, so she's been raped. Um, and it doesn't if she's coked up, she's also been exploited. Um, so and I had absolute war, and in fairness to the Irish Times, and it's very often not very often I will say in fairness to the Irish Times, but they did. Um, they contacted me and they spoke about this codes of conduct that they're going to do around court reporting and how they can make it better and how their media reporting can be better in terms of victims and things like that. So that's what the Victims Alliance is going to do. You know, when we see things like that, we will be all over it because no, 
you're not allowed to talk about us like that. We did nothing wrong, you know? So. It's, uh, I'm always. Sorry, I lost connection there, lads. Sorry. You're all right, Graham. Don't worry. Try and keep up with us now. Will you please, Petal? Yeah, I did. I did have a follow up there, but go on. You're talking, Danny. So I was going to say, I'm always curious and I'm always kind of angry when I hear that thing of like, they come from a good family or they have a letter from a TD to say that their family are upstanding members of society. And I'm like, what the fuck has that got to do? Like, who cares if they come from a family that has land? Like... The Tyrone manager, uh, GA manager Mickey Hart, done that as well for someone in his in his locality. He went up and was a character witness for a man that I believe pleaded guilty. Like, didn't the Count Florida do it? Oh, we yeah, had yeah. we had an incident in Kerry. Now it's God, it's about seven seven years ago again. But in um in Kerry, we had the local priest came up and gave a yeah. character reference for this guy. They had found him on her. The guardy pulled him off of her. Like that was, there was never going to be anything less than a conviction. And all these people from the town came up and gave him character witnesses. And then when he was found guilty, they all filed past the victim who was sat there and shook hands with him. The whole town. Jesus. Like that's the kind of shit we're dealing with. So, like, yeah. and that's not that long ago. Like, it's old, but no. it's not that old, you know? You were saying there, um, Linda, about um, holding media to account, like you mm-hmm. did with the Irish Times and, and that headline. Um, you also have held a, a doctor to an account on a national airwaves. Would you care to go through that? Because I think it is important in terms of uh, victims of rape and your tread uh, on Twitter on it was absolutely brilliant mm. um, and uh, no doubt because uh, uh, I followed the thread over the course of a few days and it did help women it definitely 100% helped women so uh, is it okay for you to go through that and, and what happened yeah sure so um, when when the Belfast rape trial happened I actually set up an organisation called ASFI they were Action Against Sexual Violence Ireland and it was it was a little bit like a precursor to the Victims Alliance but I really hadn't a clear what I was doing it was literally I woke up the day after the trial angry as hell and wanted to do something and it's very hard to keep that momentum going that anger going um, particularly when you literally haven't a clear what you're doing I've taken learns from it for the Victims Alliance so um, but the one thing about it was, um, so I'd set up this thing called OSFI. And there was a few weeks, uh, it was around the September of 2018. Um, and uh, Kira Kelly had gotten very angry about, um, a listener had said something about teaching his daughters about what to wear and stuff like that, to this gatekeeping thing. And she got really angry. And in fairness to her, she was brilliant. Um about how she dealt with it she absolutely ripped your man out of it anyway on twitter the next day there was somebody again similar to this guy who'd been on her radio show who was saying the same kind of thing so what happened was me and a bunch of other victims started talking to this guy about how all he was doing was teaching his daughters that if something happened to them that they couldn't talk to their dad because of the the gatekeeping thing that he was he was going to he was telling them that if they failed at gatekeeping that there was that it was their fault nearly so we were trying to explain it to this guy by jesus it was not going in and we all tried loads of different ways and 
so um the producer contacted me from it was lunchtime live at the time and was like hey do you want to come on and tell us your story and at the time we were literally only after start asking and i knew from from social media when you start telling your story you get more people coming to you saying this happened to me too and you know you can start talking to them about what they need or you know how they're feeling how did they know your story to approach Linda? Well, because I've been saying on Twitter to this guy about, well, I was wearing this. How is that my fault? This is what happened to me. So okay. that's that's where it came from. Now, my family don't follow me on Twitter, so I'm perfectly safe to talk about it in that sphere. I know who my followers are and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? So um, and I had disclosed to my brother who was on social media like years previously. So my brother knew about it. Um. So what happened then was, so they said, look, you know, come on. And I was introduced as Linda, a listener. It was anonymous. Um, and so I told my story and it was fine. And my brother actually rang me afterwards. I didn't say to anybody that I was going to be on. My brother rang me afterwards and was like, he, he was upset because it was a family weekend that it happened to me on. And, you know, so um, that was fine. And there was never kind of anything more about it. So anyway, um, when that case happened with the young girl with the thong, and um, there was a big march in Dublin and it was that this is not consent march. And um, I got a phone call from the producer again saying, hey, are you heading to the march? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I am. Um, I said, I'm going as, as Ospie. I'm going to be repping for Ospie there. And she said, oh, we're going to be doing a live broadcast down, down at O'Connell Street. Do you want to come on? We've got Ruth Coppinger. We've got um, the girl who runs the I Believe Her page. Um are you interested and I was like yeah oh, come on as Ospie you know it's good to start talking to people about what we're doing and stuff like that so remembering that I'd been on previously anonymously um I was on as a rep of Ospie and it was about somebody else's case it was nothing absolutely nothing to do with me okay um so uh Ruth Coppinger was on and she was talking about the sex ed bill which uh Solidarity had had just kind of brought forward which was great, you know, and it was stuff that the kind of stuff that we were working on trying to get it ratified and stuff like that. So um, I was introduced as this is Linda Hayden of Action Against Sexual Violence Ireland. Uh, she has been on with us previously and I was kind of giving her the eye as if to say shut up because I text my dad five minutes before I was due on to say, oh my God, I'm going to be on news talk in like five minutes. Um, so I'm kind of giving her a little bit of the... Ah. So anyway, I started talking about Ossie. I started talking about the sex ed bill. I started talking about the need to have legal representation in court. All the kinds of stuff that was relevant to the organisation I was there representing. And then next of all, I guess. So, Linda, you have your own experience of sexual violence. Did you report what happened to you? And I literally, you can, I've listened to it back recently. And there's like a half a second's hesitation where my brain went, oh, please, Jesus, don't let my dad be listening to this. Because my father didn't know about my rape. I hadn't. Telling the people who are closest to you, particularly your parents, is very difficult. And it had taken me 13 years to even say what had happened to me. To be able to sit and have a conversation with my parents at that time was beyond me. I, I hadn't got to a stage in my recovery where I was able to sit and have that conversation. So that half a second was oh, Jesus, please don't let my dad be listening. And then following on from that, it was, well, you're live 
on national radio representing your organization get your fucking arse in gear like literally that kind of thought process so I started talking about what had happened to me and because the cat was out of the bag at that stage like she'd asked me a question I can't I couldn't as an advocate from a sexual violence organization say I don't want to talk about that do you know what I mean um I, I felt I had no choice so I started talking to her about it and that was fine Later that night, uh, my, my mama has Alzheimer's and dad and I go to a carers group and um, I took him to his carers group and we came outside. So we'd, we'd done the whole evening together and I was thinking, oh, oh Jesus, like he hasn't said that. And thank God, you know, obviously he wasn't listening. Phew, you know, we came out and he said to me, uh, I heard you on the radio today. And I've never wanted the ground to open me up and swallow me as quickly as I did at that point like if I could have literally run away I would have and he said um you were very good but I heard some stuff that I didn't know sorry my Labrador is coughing <laughs> um uh, I heard some stuff that I didn't know and what do you say to your dad like when he's found out on national radio that you were raped do you know what I mean like yeah. the, the, what what do you say that makes any of that better the fact that you couldn't and I said to him I'm really sorry that you found out that way I said and when we're both able we'll talk about it you know because I wasn't able to have the conversation then either you know and I texted him afterwards and I said again I'm really sorry and we will talk about it at some point it was never my intention for you to find out that way um and I didn't say anything until recently when Kara Kelly has just gotten worse in terms of how she railroads and just rides all over people and you know at the time I didn't say anything I, I couldn't really say anything like I you know I just didn't feel in the place for it but I've watched her get worse and worse and I've watched how she's treated other people and I can't stay quiet anymore um so yeah so that's where it came from um but yeah that's what happened and the thing about it is you need to be very careful as victims, we have had so much taken away from us. Our story has been taken away from us from the word go because of the way that we've been victimized. You know, um, you have so much taken away from you. Like when them, when those guys raped me, they took the respect of my family. Um, they took my dignity. Uh, they took my self-esteem. They took my ability to function for a number of years. Um, they took my mental health. So they took so much from me. And you get very precious then about your story because your story is what you own. It's yours. So for somebody to take your story away from you like that is trauma in itself. So what I would say to people is if you know of a story or you know of somebody's story and they're not ready to tell it, you can't tell it for them. Don't do that. Unless somebody else is in immediate danger and you have to. Okay, that's the only time that that would ever be acceptable. But don't take people's stories away from them. It does untold damage. And it does untold damages, damage to relationships that person has with other people. Yeah, Jesus. That, that, well, look, th thanks for sharing that story. It is, uh, like, it's it, it's difficult to, to listen to you share that story. But at the same time, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's weird, I got a bit angry as you were telling it because I'm like, fuck, how could somebody put somebody in that position? Like, And it you know? is a position. She, I literally had to make a half a yeah. second decision on, was I going to walk away from it? 
like literally screw over my organization by acting unprofessional on national radio or was I going to just go with it and I had to go with it and like it's it's just a choice that had to be made at that split second and had I even known if I'd known beforehand I would have said don't say anything but I you know the I'd been on previously anonymously. Why? Yeah, why would that come back up? You know, you don't. It think. shouldn't have. It, it shouldn't, shouldn't have. have. Yeah, absolutely, it shouldn't. So, you know, I and that's the thing about media. You have a duty to mind people's stories. Like you are the gate. You are the 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 storyteller. Um, people trust you with their stories, and that's a huge level of trust. Yeah. Use it wisely. Would you put that down to Kira Kelly's? inexperience as a broadcaster not being a broadcaster not being a code of ethics for journalism and just being a controversial doctor from operations transformation like she's literally the, the it's almost like they hired her a news talk as the simon cowell some people have said this and here's my counter argument she is a doctor she took an a hippocratic oath and there is privacy with that hippocratic oath so yeah. she understands that yeah yeah so, and look, yeah, I wasn't coming up with excuses there. I was just, I just oh, no, I know, I know, but around. that's just can't you know, get like, me head around the amateur hour of it all. I, 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 I think saying amateur hour almost kind of gives a kind of a moment of like, oh Jesus, you know, almost like yeah. that awkward backing out of it. I don't think it is amateur hour. I think there's a doctor has a duty of care. You'll hear that yeah. constantly, yeah. and. It, that has to extend to, to anything. If you if you say something in confidence to a doctor, a doctor has to respect you know that confidentiality. That has to extend to something. She would logically look at it and say, "This is an anonymous story that we have had today." And in a few weeks later, having that same person, there's no way you'd forget the anonymity no. factor. You just wouldn't no. like it. Was there ever an apology, Linda? No, and that's my biggest thing. Like, I will forgive anybody a mistake. If it's a mistake, just own it. Just yeah. say you're sorry. She blocked me. And then she... Un- no, first of all, she quote tweeted me on the thread. Then she blocked me. Then she obviously got her wrist slapped by news talk and unblocked me. Deleted the tweets. And now she has blocked me again. So... For me, there is no ownership of that mm. mistake. Like, if somebody comes and said to you, like, I, I, she probably didn't mean to do it. Like, I don't, I don't hold ill will to her. She probably just fucked up. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. But you own that. You don't behave like that because actually, what she did and how she behaved to me when I disclosed it was trauma. That actually set my PTSD off for a good. 12 to 15 hours that was a very difficult time i had physical ptsd symptoms from how she reacted to me because and, and I, she reacted as if there was a twitter pile on on her i know she played the victim yeah. which disgusted me even more like literally i just wanted her to own what she did and she hasn't and it's become now every time she trends the 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 thread gets rolled out and I'm I'm starting to feel like I'm becoming her nemesis and I don't want that either. I just want her to literally hold her hands up and own what she did. Now she can shove her apology up her hole at this stage. Too much time has passed. But Yeah, it, um, it won't be sincere, like No, it absolutely won't. She'd be she'd she'd be forced into it. It tells you the measure of the person, I think. 
Um, if if somebody is very unwilling to own a mistake like that, and it is a big mistake, that's a big cock up. Um, and I dread to think like I'm I'm a tough old bird, right? I have a thick old skin. I'm well able to stand up for myself in a lot of different situations, and I know how that affected me. I dread to think what it would happen if it was somebody who was more vulnerable. And and so my point in the thread was she is a danger to vulnerable people and should not be allowed access to them. And that more than anything else is my biggest bugbear. If if you have somebody who is willing to ride roughshod over victims and not own the trauma that you, you inflict on them, then that person has no place talking to victims at all. Yeah. No. And you, now she wants you, herd immunity and she's a doctor. Oh, let's not. Let's not. Fucking Sorry, hell. Danny, I interrupted you. You can, Go ahead. No. you can you can actually make a complaint to News Talk. It's complaints at newstalk.ie if you want to write in and complain. You have now 29 days. They'll spend 20 days coming back to you. But in the meantime, because you've put your complaint into News Talk, you can also complain to the BAI. You're welcome. We've kind of covered a lot of things there. And one of the things, well, two of the things you said are kind of combined in my head and have reminded me of something that happened very recently. Kind of the, the whole thing about consent and um, the whole thing about kind of recognizing something and a, a certain culture, if you will, being kind of developed somewhere or, or this kind of, I, I don't know, again, because I'm ignorant, I tell this stuff, I'm not sure what words to use, but what Listen I'm trying to. Listen to me, don't be afraid to use words because if you get them wrong, we can correct it don't yeah, ever yeah. be afraid of how to talk to victims we're people what, what i'm trying to get out i suppose then is uh recently uh, again through twitter there was a massive outpouring from irish female comedians in relation to uh well well it started with one particular comedian but then i've seen a couple of other names being mentioned as well Mm. Um, you're, you're involved in comedy many many yeah. moons ago I was involved in comedy and I know a lot of the people who uh, were involved and, and who were telling their stories and like the whole what we said there about kind of victims you own your story yeah. you, like, so you being able to tell your story that, that's an empowerment thing for you and that's you can control that Yeah. but the, the flip side of it then I'm looking at it and I'm kind of saying like I didn't know any of this stuff was happening in comedy but had I known about it, what what would be the best way to like? Because so many different dynamics. But what what's the best way to go about like not not necessarily confronting it, but trying to even say like, listen, if you need me, I'm here. Like, so we have a huge issue in comedy. We have rapists, like we have actual rapists yeah. who are out there still gigging. Um, we have uh, have people who are in positions of power who have you know abuse that power in the worst possible way and um i did I, I i've got my own podcast which i won't plug right now but i did a podcast with two female comedians who left comedy and one of them left um because she was raped on the scene and we've done for years a, a campaign a whisper campaign where if we saw a woman gigging at a certain venue or with a certain person uh, we would message them and say, hey, don't go to that gig alone. Bring somebody with you, preferably male. Um, don't be alone with this person. Wow. Try and avoid this. You know, and we did that. We've done that for like four years now. Like mm. there's this campaign has gone on for a long time. And then you would have people that you would tell 
who would still go and do that gig. They would still put money in that person's pocket. And it became a piece of work around accountability. There were certain venues who wouldn't book people who had gigged in certain venues or with certain people. Um, And it became kind of like a tale of two cities. There was the people who were like, there's two sides to every story. And then there were the people who were like, no, actually, if you do that, we won't have you in our venue, you know? Um, there's a number of different things that are happening and again I did another podcast with Ruth Hunter about the codes of comedy conduct for comedy um, we're hoping we've got over 40 venues who've, who've signed up to them so far um, we're just trying to You're make it a safe workhorse aren't you no that's nothing to do with me I'm not owning that one at all it's nothing to do with me it's Ruth Hunter and a bunch of other comedians have done that I literally just interviewed them for the podcast I've had nothing to do with it I'm working on Honestly. the other side of it uh, it's, I it's, work, pa- it's the pack woman podcast yeah yes yeah that's my that's the that's the one um yeah so um yeah i um i had nothing to do with cow's conduct that's all ruth and her team and ali ali O'Rourke and some amazing people like that um so they're trying to make comedy safer number one they're trying to get more venues to sign up for it um we're watching because comedy is on hold now there is yeah. very little going on um It'll be interesting to see what the dynamic is coming out of this. Um, the women who, the particular person, and Danny, you were probably as shocked as I was when, when it came out about this guy in June. Um, yeah. Well, consider, considering what had uh, preceded it a couple of years ago and, yeah. and him sharing a story. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, just yeah. because you were, okay, so and I'm going to address this because I saw people say, Oh, was such and so, um, is such and so uh, owed an apology? No. Yeah, yeah. He's he's still a predator. Just because mm. he preyed on another predator doesn't make him any less of a predator. Do you know what I mean? Like so, um, this whole thing of one-upmanship, like it's it's bullshit. If you're a victim, you're a victim, and he was a victim when he came out and he told a story, but he went on to victimize other people, so he's a piece yeah. of shit. Um, like. Those women are brilliant. I have had contact with them. They're a phenomenal bunch. They will make sure that he never raises his head again, and rightly so, because they have collective voice. Okay, They work together. They'll make sure that he is held accountable for what he has done. You know, he won't work again. There are others, and and this is another one. Um, We had another one who was working with a very high-profile company, and um, he was outed. Well, he was outed by somebody else, not his victim. And that poor woman had her story taken away from her. And that wasn't right either. Yeah. Um, She had her story taken away from her. And I don't agree with that. Um, It meant then that a lot of us could talk about it freely, more freely, because we had somebody else to say this is what actually mm-hmm. happened. Um. And, and that one had been talked about. Jesus, that had been talked about on, like, people who have actual TV shows were talking about that one for years beforehand. It was so widely known. There was literally only two venues that would still employ that guy. Um, really? Yeah, but I can remember a local pub had him on a lineup, um, a pub local to me, and I remember contacting them and saying, hey, just to give you a heads up, this guy's a rapist, and, you know, I work for OSFI, and... and I'm, I'm giving you the heads up and the pub were like 
well, that's a very serious accusation to make. And I was like, yeah, and I'm making it. I'm telling you. Right. So with the um, I, I contacted this venue and, and they said, uh, oh, that's, you know, that's terrible. Oh, well, obviously, you know, that's that's terrible. And you could tell they were like, I don't want to know. I honestly don't want to know. And they said, um, well, are you willing to come down? You know, we were we were talking to the local sergeant or the local community officer uh, here. And uh, are you willing to come and, and meet with us to discuss this? And I went, yeah, I am. And they were like, I never heard from them ever again. So they were yeah. obviously trying to get me to go away so yeah. that they could still have this rapist on their bill. Um, and I've never gone back to that venue since. So that's the kind of thing that is happening out there where you tell people and they will still just carry on because it doesn't affect them. Mm. And that is going to stop. We will make sure things like that stop. We will hold people to account for not doing what they need to do. You know, it, it's hard to do the right thing, but you have to do it. How will you ever get back into comedy, Linda? Is it safe? Um, well, <laughs> there's very few places that'll have me now because I'm such a mouthy bitch. Um, I did, my last gig was the 6th of March and I really enjoyed it. The podcast is more of a creative outlet for me in terms of um, it's what I took up instead of comedy for my mental health. Um, and if you if you listen to my my podcast, you know that's a joke because we talk about such deep, seriously traumatizing things. Um, I've just made myself sound like an absolute freak. Um, <laughs> you did not. But the. It's hard to know. It's hard to know. The reason why I said that I was stopping doing comedy was there were so many people on the scene that I wanted to punch. Um, it was for their safety as opposed to mine. Um, because of the kinds of behaviours that I'm talking about, it's very infuriating when you know that you've told somebody directly that somebody's rapist and they still go ahead. That is, you know, we need more allies. And I think that there's not... Now, that said, since June... The amount of people who have come to me and come to victims and apologized. And there is nothing wrong with that. And we will absolutely say, sure, yeah. do you know what? Fair play to you for doing that. Um, and if we see more of that, that's great. You know, there were there were people that I didn't speak to for years because they knew and they still went into the people I would have considered very dear friends. And we're now back friends again because they've apologized. But a lot of them are saying, You told me things I didn't want to know. Just because you doesn't want yeah. to know, just because you don't want to know, it doesn't make it not true. An inconvenient yeah. truth, yeah. Um, yeah. How how can people be an ally in? Like if like I get the whole thing of of not taking someone's story away or not. I don't, I don't want to use the term out, and I don't know if that's right. Considering yeah, out like, is right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like like you can't necessarily out somebody, but like how can you be an ally in if you know something is going on or somebody has confided something in you? Like what? what what can you do to, to support and help? Just don't give them, you know, hit them where it hurts. A lot of this, a lot of the, the things, particularly in comedy, it's about power dynamics. So if you start oh, taking geez, power, yeah. yeah, so if you start taking power away from people or you start hitting them in the pocket, that's, you know, if you think that a venue is dodgy, don't give them your business. Don't go there. Don't, don't put money in their pockets. Don't, um, you know, and be supportive of victims, you know, go to go to gigs that have signed up for the codes of conduct, you know, that, you know, 
are showing a real commitment to to changing things and making things better. Generally, being an ally, when somebody or if somebody discloses that they have been a victim, it doesn't matter of what to you. The first thing that you say is, I'm sorry that happened. I believe you. What do you need? And if if you're going to ask any other questions, Barry, what do you need? Stop yourself. Bite your tongue. You don't need to ask the circumstances of it. They may not be in a position to be able to tell you. They will if they can. They they don't have to. They don't owe anybody an explanation as to what happened to them. But what you need, I find, is the best all-encompassing thing to say. Because nine times out of ten, they might say, I just needed to say it to somebody. Um, That's changing now. Actually, COVID has changed things a lot. People want to know where they can go for justice, what it will look like. Um, where they can get therapy support so that they're able to go and try and get some justice or some closure. Um, and as a victim, your only job is to heal. That is the only thing you have to do. You don't have to report it. You don't have to do anything. There is no onus on you to do anything bar heal. So if one of your questions is, did you report it? Don't do it. Don't say it. It's not, it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, that they'll, they'll tell you if they have reported it, they'll tell you, you know, things will come out in time. You don't need to know the gory details. If somebody's not in a position to be able to tell you, you don't need to know. Just be gentle and remember that trauma doesn't have a time frame. It can take as long or as short. And PTSD particularly usually requires a little bit of assistance in the ways of therapy and, and counselling. So if you're in a position to be able to help somebody through that do you know it's um ptsd is no fun at all like it's a horrific um and it changes your life like when you become victimized you'll never be exactly the same again um it does change you know i'm very lucky in that i glued myself back together really strong um so that i can now be strong for other people and i do that because i realize that i'm much further down the road there is no it's not a race um, there's no time frame on it so people will get there in their own time and sometimes people won't recover from it they won't ever be the same they won't ever feel the same again and that's okay too you know um the biggest thing about it is to know that you're not alone there's thousands there's hundreds and thousands of us um and we're all in it together and that's what the victims alliance is for it is for us all to realize that because it's very isolating you're not alone there's a lot of us out there and you know, we as an organisation, you will have your voice, you'll have your opportunity to tell us what you need to see different and what you want to be different. And we will do our best to make that happen. Brilliant. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Linda, it's been absolutely brilliant. It really has. Thank it's, you for it's, having me. It exceeded uh, my expectations in terms. I, we have a lot of, I would say that we have majority male listeners. Um, and I think you were the perfect person to get on to educate people and I would urge anyone that uh, that listens to this to follow Linda on Twitter because in the time frame that I followed Linda um, I've just been I'm always educated I'm always learning about language about you know anything about the Victims Alliance um, about how to about how to handle situations I've had experience with PTSD with friends and family before um, but in different in different 
kind of aspects of it, not by mm. by rape as such. So yeah. Um. T- thanks so much for your time. It was. It Thank was, you for having me. It's a touchy. It's a. It's a nervous subject to to cover for two immature lads. And you I think did great. I think I think you were brilliant. So thanks so much. No, you did great. And like as I said, don't be afraid. You know, like we don't by, you know, and we're well able to have the crack with it as well. Like it doesn't have to be doom, gloom, seriousness all the time. You mm. know, like you won't see me crap, cracking any rape jokes, but, you know, yeah. you might see me taking the piss out of my PTSD or, um, you know, me. You own it, you're allowed. Yeah, absolutely. It's mine. It's mine to live with, you know. So um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of. If somebody discloses to you, there's nothing to be afraid of. They're still the same person. Um, Where where can people follow you on Twitter? And where can people listen to you weekly? Weekly. So Uh, you can follow me. I am the Pack Woman podcast. Um, So I'm on Spotify, iTunes, and uh, I fall under the Torture Shack. So you can find me on tortureshack.ie. Um, A wonderful, wonderful group of podcasts. (laughs) Great, Tony G. Yeah. The, the the man himself and I actually can I give a little shout out Tony is running at 2020 miles I've only seen this today he's been doing it for ages I've only seen it first yeah. one today I was so, like holy shit he set himself a goal to run 2020 miles for 2020 uh, for ICH8 and the Anna Livy project and he is finishing on Sunday two months early the overachiever um, <laughs> so I just want to give a big shout out to him well done and you, you can on the Torture Shack um, Twitter page, there is a, and on the website, you can donate if you feel like doing so. It goes to two great charities. So, and people should also listen to the Torture Shack uh, catalogue of podcasts because they're brilliant as well. Yeah, there's some great stuff on there. I have to say, mm. like I was a fan before I was ever a Torture Shacker, and um, they're they're a brilliant bunch of people. And um, yeah, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, I am Linda OK then, so O K A Y, like the full. Okay then, um, <laughs> or just look up mouthy wench and you'll. <laughs> I doubt there be tweets there that. What did you say? Outside agitator. Outside agitator. Yeah, I'm actually going to put that on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Linda, I, I agree with everything Brenna was said. Thanks so much for uh, taking time and having a chat with us, um, and and educating us as well. Um, it's always all... here. Yeah, I'm here I'll... for. Anybody who has any questions. Um, we'll be calling on you again, no doubt. I was going to say you'll regret that because we'll come back to you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, make, we'll make a list. But, Do. Uh, yeah. well, I mean, like, we have department heads in, in the Victims Alliance that are more than happy to talk to you as well about different different kinds of things. So feel mm. free to ask. And the Victims Alliance is on Twitter at Fix Alliance. Lovely. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Merrigan. Should people yeah. want to hear uh, the previous 200 and whatever episodes of this award-winning establishment, how can they? They can go to any podcast provider and search WTS Pod, uh, and then you'll get us there uh, all the time, most weeks when we feel like it. Um, we're at Twitter, at WTS Pod. He's at Dan Joe Murray. I'm at Merrigan Mania. And uh, this has been What's the Story with the amazing, sensational uh, advocate, outside agitator Linda Hayden thanks everybody thanks a million thanks Linda Mero, until next time mate. You, you've, done this, you've done this before you keep fucking up the outro on me sorry clear eyes take a breath right clear eyes full hearts can't lose it's not difficult Graham we do it every week too sweet up Linda <laughs> <laughs>